We tried to poison you. We tried to poison you. Because you're an insane, degenerate piece of filth, and you deserve to die. This is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Abstain. The track is Lethal Dose. This is off a debut 12-inch EP, not the LP. Infirm of Purpose, which is out today on War Records. Andrew Klein, War Records. Killing it. You can go get the pre-order right now. W-A-R-R-E-C.com. That's warrecords.com. And, uh... For those who don't know Philly people, that's Fixation's record label. Their shit's coming out. Going to be playing a new track from them pretty soon. This is a band direct from San Diego, Abstain. And um, if you don't hear the 90s influence with a little bit of a magnitude kind of approach, I don't know what to tell you. And uh, in keeping with some of what I'd like to talk today about, and with the record being out, this is actually... A good coincidence. So check out Abstain. Check out War Records. And much love to Fixation. And to Andrew Klein. Again, if you guys got tickets and didn't go to the California Takeover shows, I'm sorry. Or if you missed out. Phew, man, Strife fucking killed it. Earth Crisis. Total 90 shit. That was fucking great. Now, it's impossible for me to not talk about shows going on and shit that's happening. But I'm going to keep it really brief. Because, um, I don't know, never heard anybody say, hey, fuck you, I'm tired of hearing about Philly shows. But I figured I'd just let you know. Got some shows coming up. But uh, first and foremost, two weeks from This Is Hardcore. It's weird to say that. I don't know if we're always going to be this early in June. Or uh, July, rather. 
But uh, yeah, this year had to because we got one of the most '90s lineups ever: Hatebreed, Madball, Fear of Five, All War, Killing Time, Ringworm, Wisdom and Chains, Powerhouse, Mushmouth, Strength for a Reason. I mean, if you're one of these kids and you want to check out the time that you missed. I do believe that there's no time machine. I don't think that you could create a scenario where you put people in giant jinkos and goofy pants and stupid shirts and recreate it. But I at least can put all the bands that played together a whole lot on the fest in one day. And that's what I try to do. And um, the fest is selling well. So make sure you get your tickets. Uh, there is, should not be any confusion, but if there is, we have tickets for Thursday, which is an awesome show with H2O and Tsunami, Scarhead, uh, Carried by Six, Hold My Own, Zero Trust. I mean, the list goes on and on. Friday's completely sold out between the three-day tickets and the Friday tickets. So you can either go Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday. Single tickets, or you can get a two-day ticket for Saturday and Sunday. This arc is only two weeks away. Today in Philadelphia is no pressure. And they're coming with their friends, Illusion, which are sick fucking band. Raw Brigade, absolutely fucking sick. And I, I want you to know that it, it, it cracks me up every time that we get to have uh, some of these young bands from our area popping up. But nothing's cooler than seeing Killing Me get to play their first church show. Such a short time, so many of these young bands are really starting to become the, the centerpiece of this local entire area scene, which... Used to, you know, Philly, 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 but I mean, Del- you know, Delaware's got some love in there. South Jersey's got love in there. The PA Burbs, even up to Bethlehem, where Stucky calls all the shots. And up in the, whoever knows where the fuck Clemo's from, some cave outside of Stroudsburg. And um, Jersey, you know, it's, a, it's all love here. These bands are really killing it. Big ups to Shackled. Got their own U.S. tour they're rolling with. Love seeing videos every night of them. And um, yeah, so tomorrow, well, today rather, Friday, June 24th, No Pressure, Illusion, Raw Brigade, Killing Time, or Killing Me at the First Unitarian Church. Yes, we'll have tickets at the door. So make sure uh, you go check that out. And then um, they just keep coming. We got this following Friday. I believe it's a Friday. July 1st. Let me double check that. Because I say this shit. Yeah, it is July 1st. I'm a fucking idiot. July 1st. Silliness. Deal with God. Conduit. Keith. Hard band. Refinement. I don't know what the band name is on that flyer. So I'm just going to say blah. I don't know what that word is. And that's at the Media VFW. Cool little venue. And uh, AXBX and Stucky. Whew, man. Young kids. Serious Combo, 7 p.m. Oh, the band's called Mind, Go Bl- Mind Goblin. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. That's funny. Um, but yeah, uh, check it out. AXBX, Ducky, got a show. Then the following day is the Hard Times Tattoo. Flea Market, July 2nd. I'll be selling some DVDs. We'll be hanging out at Hard Times. Homo, Mike Hooligan, and company. AXBX. On the piercings, Julia on the eyebrows, and Veda just killing it, the tattooing. 
It's a good shop. We're going to hang out, eat some food, talk shit all day, July 2nd. It's coming up soon. Support it. PhillyHGShows.com. Bob's got a bunch of shows on the way. I got a couple shows. I'm not going to go too much into it because it's too far away. And everybody should be thinking about this and this is hardcore. When I think about the fascination that these people who are younger and missed out on, I, I wonder if they really can grasp what the 90s was. Like, you know, like, I know it sounds like a weird thing. Like, What was it? Because there is a love or a fixation to buy these t-shirts at crazy hundreds of dollars more than ever. And it's like the weird thing to think that a shirt from a band could get two or three hundred dollars when that same band playing at the time when that shirt was first printed may not have gotten two or three hundred dollars worth of merch sales in a day. It's a little weird. And I know the the 90s fascination with the um, the heavier, grungier, rockish kind of bands with the droney blah, 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 kind of singing is also really popular. And um, in thinking about what I said about Fury of Five, it, it doesn't mean that everybody was like Fury of Five. But there are some serious correlations that are worth mentioning here, and and it, it's a it, this is a broad brush kind of conversation where I say that if I was making an argument, or my hypothesis would be that the reason why we talk about the bands for decades. Not only just because they've done decades worth of work, but really does come down to the fact that going back on a couple times I've said it across different episodes is the work, the crisscrossing, the manual labor that comes from not being able to click some buttons and post some pictures and thousands of people can buy your shit but having to physically get into a vehicle and take your music to every place it's going to be heard and to have to physically buy cassette tapes and handwrite the labels if you're not slick enough to have a computer and print a cool label and stick it on there. But even then you're sticking the hand labels and, you know, there are some sick bands like the Pull Ever Blood demo. I mean, across this many episodes, we've talked about the bands with like the beautiful, beautiful printed demo but even then that very seldomly was the printed demo the first move that was always like the classic and only a few bands really did that and um a lot of demos were purchased by Rick to like incorporation and <laughs> for years my man thought burial ground was hatred and <laughs> Cause he bought a burial ground, he bought a tape read demo, but ended up being a burial ground tape. And that's the breaks, motherfuckers. You buy a tape from Rick for three bucks at some fucking show, you might get a fucking copy of a record or a tape, rather, especially with the demos, that ended up being something else. And you just don't know till you listen to your man's car. Oh, I love the song, and they're like, wait, what band do you think this is? And it's handful, handful of times. 
and um, bands that did some really funny things, like make really nice cardstock inserts. So that way, if you if they could catch Rick selling tapes that are bootlegged, and I always say I'm gonna do an episode of Rick, and then he talks a bunch of shit and starts acting up like he did during the weekend of the Fury Five. Then I say it's not even worth singing his praises because the people who are there know what he did. The people who are in on the know of why people don't fuck with him anymore know that too. So I'll leave that person to where he's at. But my point being, and back to the point, is that there was a lot of physical stuff that we just don't need to. And this isn't saying like, this isn't Joe Hardcore saying like, I only like butter that's churned. I don't like going to the store and buying butter in a fucking tub. Fuck out of here. It's not that. I'm saying there there is correlations here between when you put physical effort into promoting your band. If you put physical work into anything, your body, to your house, to your life, physical work, because this is the end of, uh, or the, almost the end of men's mental health month, you know, like putting mental and physical work into your own body, you're going to see results and you're going to feel more proud. And all these bands that we're talking about, that was the way. There wasn't a sidestep, you know? It's unfathomable how much physical work has been just completely eliminated. And, and and it's not on you damn kids. This is for 20 years now. The work has been cut in half. And, and I say to that, that's why there's so many trashy throwaway bands from the era of the CDR demo onward. Digital... I'm not going to be the guy who makes an argument about digital analog releases, even though I did an episode about digital digital world and analog culture. I'll say that the minute that bands stop having to put so much physical time into everything, I mean, there's bands that printed their own patches and printed their own t-shirts, physically went out and learned the pitfalls of screen printing their own shit. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of things taken for granted here. But to the point, and not to be derailed again, is that it is in these bands that put the time into their merchandise, put the time into their designs, put the thought and effort into everything, that these things became a value. And then there, it's a labor of love. You know, there's not giant guarantees. There's venues that don't pay any money. There's promoters that are fucking completely hapless. There was a lot of love for the scene and the culture first and foremost, over the presentation of financial reward or even just reimbursement. I mean, I imagine there's plenty of coffers filled between the 80s and 90s by promoters who never really felt like they owed to pay bands too much anything or, you know, would do so much gymnastics to not. But where this goes is that the physical enterprise of being in a band is much different than today. And so... If we think about this, the bands like Hatebreed, who had one of the most industrious people in that time frame, from Josta 14 to the Bristol, uh, Bristol Skate Park shows, I mean, the day probably will never come where I can get Jamie on here to really just really break down those days, but he had it all figured out 
in my in my summation, I really do think that he it could summarize him as someone who knew how to network, knew about bands like integrity and all the stuff, and not only just like wanted to do band like you know cool shit with them, you know put records out with these bands and you know really promoted the band and toured and then did the distro thing the label thing and it was a he was a powerhouse move man you know like jamie was the guy that you went to connecticut and he could end up getting you shows in virginia to fucking maine you know much in the way of the other guy we were talking about earlier and there's bands like that all across the board and i still feel as if the bands that learned to do everything on their own there's a reason why they still exist. Um, if we're looking at just with this hardcore lineup, you know, H2O, because Toby was a roadie of Sick of It All and Rancid, had some legs up. You know, had some advantages put before them, you know, in the sense of the demo was more of a passed around thing and you know this is when the first seven inches are coming out and they're playing h2o just still played shows that were quite small the first time i seen them was with brothers keeper and prima to almost nobody it's the first time i can remember playing in philly but like a year and a half later everybody fucking knew them and they were opening for mighty mighty ballstones and you know this band and that band and they were like the band that jumped into the fire hot and ready, four wheels on the road, and just buzzed. That's not everybody, you know, and we could compare to the infamous tour where Roger couldn't continue, and Freddie takes the mic of the most infamous band in New York Hardcore Agnostic Front, and his right there, his star just rose, and the legend of Freddie Christian Freddie Madball is born. But even then, you know, where was where was Madball to play in a time when New York City venues were opting out of supporting hardcore because of violence? The scene had started shifting from classic pure hardcore to the, you know, the if you want to call it post hardcore, if you want to call it the grunge time or the you know the weird void between 1991 and 1995 when hardcore really started kicking into another drive you know that band had to still make it by playing shows and having t-shirts and you know we've had plenty of people on the show and talk about new york hardcore and uh they these these bands a lot of them weren't from places where you could just have a garage and print your own shit and yet somehow through the will and the way and you know obviously there is connections with agnostic front but manball didn't come out as a bona fide winner like everyone knew them yeah they're like people who were apprehensive people who didn't know and the minute that band started rolling they never stopped with the exception of the time when they stopped because freddie did some time and then they picked the ball back up again that's been a fucking machine. And they're still very hands-on. And they still operate bare bones for a band that is another global enterprise. A band that plays worldwide, known worldwide. 
and I'm and I'm gonna say that if you ask me the formula and recipe for the staying power of man ball, it's not just the prestige of being the band that would, you know, take the reins of AF, but because they played every fucking where. And they put time into their shit. And what they did had a special feeling. And it's undeniable that those sounds, you know, Will Shepler, Matt Henderson, Hoya, I mean, it may not may not be of consequence to you younger listeners, but those three putting something together like that, I mean, that's a that 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 takes a lot of different ideas and put together and Freddie's voice on top of it, you know, it's something special. Something completely fucking different. Really is completely fucking different. And that's how it and that's how it won over. And that's a big part of this conversation here. It's like you could be a band and have ten thousand subscribers or whatever the fucking Spotify numbers are, but you might have no idea how to even do your band. And there are bands who popped up, be it the late 99s, in 98s, that were dead in the water by 2004. And made paltry or weak reunion somewhere in the 2010s or just recently. And it's a flicker that'll never become a full flame again. And my argument here is that because they didn't do the fucking work. And I'm not talking about fucking folding the J card. For those of you who don't know what a J card is, it's the little card that goes inside the cassette tape it it comes down to the faster the process has gone from a band to grind out to the point where they're at their maximum potential different times has just been cut down so short that it's like a mighty fire that dropped out quite quickly and people talk about them you know, people say, oh, man, that, I bet if you booked that band, they'd, they'd come back and they'd be great. And, I'd have, I, you know, at times they're right. Like, there's that flicker. And few bands ever go from the the moment where they were at their, their zenith and they put it down for a bit. And when they come back, they're, you know, they're better than they've ever been and they're more popular and this is the best music they've ever written. I don't, I don't see it too often, if ever. And certain bands from different times of had this moment where they pop up, they come back, and then they wait a bit, and they put out a record, oh, we're back, and then it, it's a much less enthusiastic thing, and I think a lot of it does come down to the shorter window of time overall for these bands. And so when you take a band like Ringworm, you know, activity, broken up, inactivity, I don't know what you want to call it, but this is a band who hugely, hugely influential with the promise. And then get back on the board with probably one of the like the greatest second second records in hardcore and birth is pain. And your pure aggression and anger and just the kind of shit you don't expect from hardcore bands with that kind of time in between records, right? And yet, there they were. You know, like, 
there might have been there might have been somewhere down the line. I don't I don't know where the fuck it is. But you don't go from dropping something like the promise. And then all of a sudden birth is pain drops and your whole fucking mind is exploded because you're like, holy fuck, here's ringworm back. Right? But they did it. And this is a Midwest band, and I and I've said stuff about the Midwest before. You can't underestimate bands like that where they have to go ahead and they've got to get this whole thing rolling by just playing these smaller cities. I mean, yeah, Detroit's comparable. Chicago, comparable. But it's not New York. It's not L.A. It's not Boston. Seems very greatly. So they're playing halls and small bars and clubs and God bless the Midwest is what I'm saying because it is vast and some shorter drives at times and, you know, these little pocket scenes really do well, but ultimately there's still fucking hard work. There's still a lot of punk rock and spit and fucking, you know, blood on the floor, these fucking places. And I think that by today's standards or even 20 years ago standards, there's bands that popped up in Within three or four years, they had their their big, their demo was out of control. People bought a 7-inch, if they even did a 7-inch. The LP came out. They could have done a tour. Maybe they did something else. They went to Europe, maybe. That was it. I went to do a reunion later, and it just fell short. It's the bands that, I think, either impactfully change people, like with The Promise. I mean, I think they came out in 1993. And then they drop in 2001 birth this pain it was like Jesus fucking Christ and we were lucky to tour with those guys in 2003 and they had best of both worlds people who were excited about both the records and what I learned about a band like that is like dude there's a lot of hustle in it there's a lot of blood sweat and tears and you know the Midwest didn't have it easy they might have had some of the best I mean you want to talk about the meat man and all that stuff I love love the idea of getting into it and just the work that Tesco and those guys did with Touch and Go is fucking fantastic. But at the same time, it's still not the coasts, you know? And so when I watch these bands blow up and, you know, it's not all it's not all going to work out for them. And they drop out. Not talking about the ringworms. It's over the bands that I've seen. Between the time of like 2000 to like 2014, 15, high, you know, high stakes, high, you know, rewards, quick to be talked about. And why is this happening? Oh, because from 2000 onward, we're not just talking about this AOL hardcore chat room or these message boards. We're talking about more of a moving, integrated part of society being some form of social media, some form of on the internet. And so that seeding and that immediate popularity, yeah, it comes quicker at a cost, you know, at the cost of fans or listeners becoming familiar from a recording that's digital versus seeing them live. And it's in these bands. I mean... Fuck, we could take it back to Hoods. Um, we can take it, you know, we have Hoods on the bill. 
and they're playing Friday. And fuck, I mean, even I don't like saying it too much because you know I don't I don't think too much of us, but even punishment, man. Oh, we were all hustle. We were no digital, all hospital, all hustle and no digital. But for a band like the Hoods that was around in the mid '90s, releasing demos in seven inches, eventually would do CDs, but it was all in their self-propelled promotion and constant touring. And you know, Mikey Hoods probably played places no one in the fucking universe has played. Because guys, this did so much touring. I think culturally the split is the bands that did the work, whether it's regionally, like we are talking about with the Ringworm stuff, Fury of Five, we talked about them, and you got to go back and check out that episode. It was the last one. Sorry for the week off, but um, realistically, I, I truly believe that if you want to succeed as a band, you can't abscond from the road. You can't abscond from putting time into your band. And I don't know if you're bored of hearing me say this, but... It bears repeating. It bears being at our forefront as we say the things like, oh, I think I'm going to start a new band. Well, how much work do you want to put into one? Because if you're just going to go get an Instagram, log in with the, the band camp before you even Google if there is another band already called that, pay some dork to do some graffiti logo for you, and then all record on your telephones and send it to someone to master, that's not a lot of work. You know, I, I almost missed the premise that you start off just practicing and just working it out in the room, but that's gone. And then I say, you know, sometimes bands play without material to for sale, with no product. Oh, can we, now, you know, we're just starting out. We just want to play. Big shout outs to Hair to Stay. Solved all those problems. <laughs> Love that dude. Um, I think that the thing that has come to be in a lot of younger folks is they want to get on the team. They want to get on the stage, and I and I fucking feel it. Get on that stage, young brother or sister. But come with something. Put some time into it. Don't just rush the first riff. Or maybe fuck it. You know what? Yeah, yeah I'm just having fun. I'm just doing this band. But, you know, put the time into making sure you you like this and you're not just doing this because you want the the things that come from the Instagram or the Twitter of being in the band and all the silliness of, well, this guy follows me now because I follow him or, hey, this guy follows my band page. And the social media stuff that these young kids and these fucking Ula Loops or whatever you want to do to fucking social propriety when you're in a band now, it's just ridiculous. It's about getting your band out. And that means getting in the road. It doesn't mean having five members and no gear showing up to local shows and not even having anything. You know, if you're over the age of 21 and you're not driving and you don't live in New York City, that's a weird thing. And if you're in a band and everybody's over 21 and no one has a vehicle big enough that everyone can ride in, that's mad weird too. And um, I think that that's another thing that the, I've seen we used to do this hardcore, and every band had a van. Now it's like 17 cars, four girlfriends, four best friends, no gear, all trying to get parking. It's fucking chaos. Where's the where's the getting in the sloppy van with the fucked up boxes of merch and the pieces of couch cushion to sit on? It's all gone. <laughs> I don't know if the internet took it, but it's gone. And I think that if we look at everybody in hardcore 
the biggest names, the truly biggest names, and that includes our young friends, Turnstile. There's nothing but work. Nothing but getting up every day, putting something towards the band, putting effort, making the songs better, making, if it's the merch, making it cohesive, being a part of the process, musically, physically, all that can be said of Turnstile. And um, it needs to be also said that that kind of work and dedication will lead to refinement. And if there's a band that has larger commercial thoughts down the road, that's the way you do it. You don't just show up one day and write the great song. There's always the thought that the Beatles played so many useless, unknown shows just being a band in Northern England before they ever really had the big shot that by the time they fucking really started getting after it, they were there. I mean, and I hate the, I'll use English rock as a great example and sting, you know, his father, his father was dairy worker (laughs) dudes playing music (laughs) on cruise ships and shit as a bassist. But you know, he played more pub gigs than so many fucking bands so by the time the police really formed, they were a fucking unit. And even they had to put the fucking work in. And I think you have to have the work. You got to be on the road. That's what makes the earth crisis, the mad balls, the hate breeds, the alt wars. And I, if those of you who did not listen to either Carl Picara part one or part two, it's in killing time. You know, it, uh, it starts with the entire thing where Breakdown doesn't even play their first show in the city of New York until they play with Chain of Strength in the CBGBs, and then they break up, and then that's where the whole Breakdown Raw deal split happens, and Killing Times formed, and then they still played all over. You know, they were going to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. You've heard that on this podcast. They're traveling just to be a band because they didn't just want to be a band that just played New York City. And I think we can all say that all the bands that you can think of right now, like, you know, there are there's a handful of bands, and I will say there's a handful of bands that somewhere along the way the record came out and there was a notoriety, but it was off the backs of the bands we just brought up, you know? New York City has the agnostic fronts. They've got the stick of it alls. Um, Chilling Time didn't do a lot of U.S. tours. They did one run with Vision. But it's in these New York bands. Also, you know, another crazy thing is we've talked about us on a couple shows now. The Youth of Today tour was massive for everybody. We've heard that from Walter. We've heard it from Richie. You know, the first Youth of Today tour, U.S. tour, was huge for hardcore. And even that, you know, that would, you know, lead more people to check out more New York shit. But there are some bands that did have this, uh, by association, it was a little bit easier, but they still had to play. And they played a ton of shows. And, and I just think it, that's the important factor here to take away from this episode, is that it's it's more than a sound, because there's a lot of different bands, I mean... You want to talk about Road Warriors? You want to talk about Kill Your Idols? Fucking band toured 
unbelievable amounts, constantly on the road, you know, never staying just in one spot. The casualties, same thing. If you want to be a band and you want to exist longer than four or five years, you're going to have a better shot, not at writing the perfect hardcore record, but being the band that just plays and lets the work refine you, hone you, tighten it up, you know? And I think that that gets lost in the shuffle of the internet world where instant likes and instant gratification and instant followers and closest run to the blue check is the goal and all that's useless. If your band takes two or three years and you guys are bigger than everybody, you didn't win a race. It's a bigger chance that you're going to have more problems and you didn't really go through the whole process and I don't see it lasting forever. But I do see bands working their ass off again. I love the idea of kids taking it all the way back. You know, and, and again, I'm in using the churning butter analogy. Like, I don't expect people to go ahead and do all this shit, but it's interesting when I see people hand making zines, trying to make more of their own stuff because it should give you the feeling of that like textual touching the tactic tactile that's the word i was looking for tactile feeling of the cardstock versus the paper inserts the different things that take place and i i can't express to you that there's again and again we've said doing things yourself even at the cost of failure even at making some mistakes you're going to come out better in the end if you learn the way to do it instead of passing it all off uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this promoter. Can you just do this? How many times people have said that to me? Can you just do this for me? I, I don't. I don't want to get involved here because you know there's the nice guy. I don't want to be the nice guy. Can you be the mean guy? And um, there are. We've talked about it too. There are little. There's some sharks in the water. And it's good to be mindful of that kind of stuff. But I do think that bands. A great example is a gulch and drain just recently just because of the size and the, sh- the scope of the kind of tours are being offered. They finally needed, you know, professional um, attention and people that can help them figure out the best thing for them. And, you know, that's a band that's going to blow it up even further just because they're just going to fucking work their balls off. But you got to pay all the love and respect to the gulch who, whether you, were never a fan, un- unsure of them, and then the internet got you or you saw them and were just blown away. Band always did their own thing, musically, business-wise, professionally, and there's a there's a thought process here that they blew up, but I've heard it said from quite a few of these folks and friends of theirs, how many shows in these bay in the Bay Area did these these guys play before it finally popped off and the internet figured out who they were? And that just goes to show you that there's always there's always going to be stuff that the internet didn't pick up. There's always shows Sonny's not going to have on the internet. There's always stuff that people aren't going to put to Twitter. And they're constantly grinding. And I, I think it's the grinding and the refinement. And that's why these bands, you know, the, you know, fuck, even when you talk about Judge, Judge toured a bunch. Mike, because he was on that tour with you today, he understood the importance of the road, Sammy the same way. You know, the shelters were a byproduct after youth today and that kind of stuff. You look at the bands that stay out there. 
Look at the bands that stay in the people's consciousness about hardcore. Most of it isn't bands that have one tour under their belt, maybe only been around for five years. It's going to be the bands that put the fucking work in. And when you look at the work, the ones who do the best with it have an under-the-hood working understanding of how the show is booked, what tours are worth it, what tours aren't, what tours are beneficial when to, you know, these different things. And they come from doing this. Without doing it, you don't know the way. In Integrally, inside and out. You have an idea of what it is. So I say, if you wanted to be a Fury of Five, if you wanted your band to have a lasting imprint, put it on the road. Take it up the block. Do the things. Bring the tapes. Bring some flyers for your next couple of shows. Network. Meet up with a local promoter. Split some shows up. It's going to take maybe another five years, but that Stucky's going to be something. I don't like it any more than you do. Believe me. But the kid's got the fire in him to just go and do it. And he's got the clemo with him, and, you know, it's kind of like a, it'd be a great TikTok duo, I guess. But it's in the kids to do the work and in the people who can subjugate their ego and say, oh, we really fuck with that band's music, but they're playing over there and we haven't. And maybe it'd be a good idea if we get to play over there because you never know. It's another thing that I, I'm really really fucking tired of is everybody wanting to pick a little corner and sit in by themselves. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know as a promoter how to fix it. I could put 12 bands on a bill. It doesn't mean we're going to have 12 bands drawing people because that's just the way the world works. But I think certain people come to an expected well, this is where we belong and we shouldn't play with these other things. And it's like, dude, the best of the best play with everybody. You know, long before the death metal hardcore crossovers that is popular now, AF was playing with Obituary. Sepultura knew who the fuck the Cro-Mags were. These are the things. Kurt, who was uh, from a Crowbar, Said to me, Cro-Mags? Yeah, when we were called Deadbolt, we played with them in Destruction out in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever fucking heard. Thinking about them playing a hall show in Tupelo, Mississippi before Crowbar was called Crowbar. Deadbolt opening for Destruction and Cro-Mags. It was the Best Wishes tour, I think. Destruction's a sick fucking band from Germany. And that's just what hardcore should fucking be. Hardcore should be playing places that you may not know the outcome, but you make lasting friends. I spoke on it a long time ago when we had the conversation with Juice. And it's worth telling. We needed shows. We reached out to people who already knew where to play. We knew of Clench Fist and we fucked with their music. And... Juice from Clench Fist, who's our brother, and he does all the art, and he's the reason why this art has a website, and the reason why the podcast has a website and so many things. It all starts by them being good with doing a show for Punishment and Missouri. And we got told, 
hey man, here's the key, go in and help yourself, which never, no one lets let some random band just come into your house. And that was 21 years and three months ago. And the show was the best that Memphis could do. We end up having some weird mixed cover band band after the Punishment and Clench Fist played. There was some naked moshing. Go back to the house and party with everybody and... We spent hours just watching the best Headbangers Ball videos and talking about Biohazard and Sick of It All and Heavy Metal and just grew an entire lasting friendship. And who would have thought Memphis and Philly would come to this over 20 years connection of friendships? You know, it, it comes organically. Because we're not sitting there on the internet going, oh, well, I don't know if their vibes really are vibe. And I don't really know. It's no. Like, you're a hardcore dude. I'm a hardcore dude. There's that weird quote that is circulating still through the internet that Scott Vogel said, like, hardcore is meeting some kid in a random airport. And I was that kid in the airport, not trying to go to the weed shit that the Shattered Realm dudes were up to. So. I took an easy jet, which is like the Greyhound bus of the air in Europe. And I easy jetted to hang out with my friends in um, Knuckle Dust and 50 Caliber. And I flew out there. And we got to see the West Ham grounds and got to eat at Nando's. But hanging out in that airport was a band from Nottingham called Almost Home. They're funny kids. Busted balls, or as they said, taking the piss. For like an hour or so, ride the plane with them. And I invited them there. They ever wanted to come, they could play the Zarkor. <laughs> so, almost home, this band from the Sherwood Forest played this Zarkor because we ended up hanging out with them. Me alone, just bored at this airport, hanging out with these kids. And they got to come and play Philadelphia and stay in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. That's what, that is what hardcore is. But hardcore is also. Needing a show in Prescott, Arizona, which is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, like southeast of Tucson. I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I'm not going to look at the fucking map. And the guy, the directions were, meet us at the 7-Eleven. It's Punishment in Desura. We drive, follow, and we're in Indian Reservation. <laughs> it's nighttime. And we're in a fucking Indian reservation. And they have like these bonfires. I don't even remember what, how the, I didn't even, it was dark and Mike Brown had me crying, laughing. I ain't go out there, motherfucker. There's snakes. (laughs) I know there's snakes out there. (laughs) And uh, he was, Mike would do it better. And uh, I'm leaving out some some expletives (laughs) as well. But essentially, you know, I don't care. I ain't going out there. I ain't playing there. No fucking snakes was the fucking the funniest shit to the point where he sat in the van or on top of the van until we played. We played and then we sat back on the van and watched Missoura in the middle of the desert with bonfires in the Indian reservation. I don't know the vans we played with, but we needed a show. And I always wonder when you're on the road and you need something, your your limits widen and your parameters of accepted possibilities broaden. 
And I thought, now granted, I'm fucking going to be 42 in literally <laughs> 10 days. There ain't no fucking way I'm going to be really excited about playing a house. <laughs> All the fucking years of going into houses and getting into fights and fighting our way back up the steps and out the fucking front door and all the college shit. Like I did my time in basements. But if I had a band and we had a basement show, we'd fucking play it because that's what the fuck the world is. Right. But I've never really been, Oh dude, I think a house show is the best, but no, the house is the worst fucking place for shows for a thousand reasons. But on tours, yeah, you're going to take a house show over not fucking playing. And I wonder if the harmony of being away from home and leaving you with less options opens people up to playing with a mix of bill, playing with punks when they're more of a hard band, like a punishment. And I don't know why. Well, it was raised different. But I, I know that some of the bands that are very popular and playing this as hardcore and are still fucking loved for decades all did these kind of things. They all played the shows they needed to play when there was nothing there. Or maybe it was the opportunity at the time. And I think that that stuff is kind of like completely, you know, and anathema to what goes on now where there's no even thought of crossing the line. And, you know, everybody says they're punk rock, but nobody really wants to play a mixed bill, whether it's the punks or the hardcore kids. And I think that we're losing some of this stuff with the internet. Not just the punk rock stuff, but just the work part. I'm getting back to the beginning of this whole thing. The popularity of the bands like the Black Flags, the Dead Kennedys, even the fucking Ramones. You gotta fucking work. I don't care how popular your band gets, you have to fucking work for it. And when work doesn't mean Instagramming and blue checking and waiting for the right tour to come your way or after the record comes, we'll play... Just get the fuck out there. The bands who got the fuck out there seated themselves so fucking deep in the conscious of what hardcore is, they're unforgettable. And yeah, there's bands that pop up, flash at a pan, boom, 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 man, those guys are great, what happened to them? Well, they started this band and kind of liked hardcore for a little bit, and then the band got hard, they broke up, and they're like, I don't know if I really like that hardcore thing. Now, I know plenty of people that went on tour and bust their ass for years and became a square, got a real job, and they might still love the shit. I know tons of people we've had on the show who went from being the dude in the band who did all the shit and became famous or became a fucking chef like Jess, Jamie Bissonnet. Like, there's, there's no rules specifically, but what I'm saying is the fly-by-nighters, they didn't put the fucking work in. You want your band to be fucking loved, revered, remembered, celebrated. You go on the fucking road. You want to start your band off? Cool. Put some time into it. Don't have some weird kid from Saskatchewan put the fucking demo out. You put the motherfucking demo out. Start your own fucking record label. Like my boy Bob did, Rebirth Records. Dudes in a fucking industrial machine these days. Putting out vinyl, putting out tapes. Fucking greatest AR dude alive, I think, would be Bob Wilson if we got him in a real label, but... Hardcore doesn't sell on real labels, so you know how that goes. And we've had plenty of conversation in the podcast about that. Some of that was just in jest and busting balls. But in serious, the people that love this shit are starting to really take the reins and build more. And I think that in lieu of waiting around 
for the most popular thing, sometimes you got to go and just do it, you know? Worried that your band isn't the most popular right now? Where have you played? Where haven't you played? For those who didn't know, didn't listen to the Jeff G episode, there is a reason why Cold Those Life had a fucking battle map with pins of everywhere they played in Europe and America because they were fucking organized. Like, we got to play everywhere. You know, if you're from New Jersey, have you played Syracuse? If you're from Syracuse, have you played New Jersey? I asked that because a future guest, Josh Gabriel from Trustkill, regularly had bands from Syracuse playing in a fucking basement out in the fucking... I don't even know where the fuck his house was, out in the fucking central woods of New Jersey. The Trustkill House, one of the most infamous houses that would birth so much metalcore and mid-90s hardcore. You know, have you have you gone there? Not the have you gone that distance? Have you played New Hampshire? Have you done the shows in Maine? And this is all off the back of the Fear of Five shows. Then thinking about this, had a lot of technical shit with this computer, and then no fucking time with the this is hardcore stuff to put some of this together. And what I recorded, I thought was solid, and I ended up just scrapping it and just going with this one. But I'm serious. Where what time what what time did you put in this band? Oh, you were on the FaceTiming and practicing together, and the demo came out quick, and it was on the BAM camp. Somebody from literally Saskatchewan went ahead and fucking put the tape out, and now some other weird asshole is going to put the record out, but you've only played a couple shows, or you have maybe played one show, and people started hitting you guys up about tours. It's like, do the fucking work. Let all that other shit happen. You want to be, you want to be known. You want to be remembered. You got a tour. You know, if you're... In the West Coast, yeah, it's expensive right now to come out. And sometimes it's even harder because the West Coast sounds sometimes deviate from the East Coast sounds. There's so many crazy scenes all around there. You got to go up and down that coast. You got to go from the Bay to fucking San Diego. Maybe I'm going to play out in the middle of nowhere, all the way up in them crazy places like Sparks, which is right outside of California and Nevada. You know, they're... It's never a place in, I think, in this country where you're like, I can't, unless you live in Alaska. <laughs> I don't know what to do. If you're in Alaska or Hawaii, I, I can't help you. I have no battle advice for you. But if I was doing a band and I was sitting there going, I just want this band to last. I want people to remember us. And I don't want to just be some flash in the pan, momentary thing. I love this thing, or I just love hardcore, and I just want to go out there, which is what we did. We, I didn't know about the plan, and you know, but like we wanted to just go to get the fuck away from Philadelphia and just do the things. So we played everywhere. Maybe not well, maybe not the best van, hardly any merch because we're fucking stupid, and I was half-assed about some things. But we always just got the fuck out and just did it. We played a lot of fucking places. Twenty-two years later. Still friends with a lot of people because of those those trips, you know. Now I imagine staying at someone's house would be so fucking weird. You sit there, you're fighting over where to ch- plug plug in your charger and your phone, and no one talks. There's no videos to share because you guys all have Instagram. There's no relationship building. There's no camaraderie because it's all in the digital hands, and you know I do think the cell phones. And that social medias really do pull people away from building better relationships outside their own social groups or their own little coteries. 
And I think that that also gets lost. And so if you want to be something and you don't know how to do it, you don't know what the first step is, the first step's work. Work at the songs. Work at practicing. I don't care if you got a 10-minute set. Make that 10-minute set be able to play that five times in a row perfectly. You want to get a demo? doesn't have to sound great. In fact, a great conversation that could be added to this is like, in the digital age, no one has a crappy record player. No one has a shitty cassette that's in a car with one speaker. Do you know how many times I had speakers that were so fucked up that I didn't know there was a second guitar track that it was on its own? I heard it, and so I'm like, wait, where did that guitar come from? Wait, what do you mean? The first time I had the Terror Zone, I listened to it. I only had one speaker. So I'm like, wait, what the fuck's going on with this guitar? <laughs> you know? The age of quality has surpassed the media and the recordings of some of these great things. So everybody's hearing these things in these pristine conditions, and it's like, I'm not sure hardcore has to be pristine. In fact, I'd argue it doesn't have to be at all. The moment, the energy, the love, the work, that's what's going to carry this. That's what carried all these bands. That's why... You could be a 20-year-old kid trying to see a band with all 50-year-old dudes because they spent five or six years really honing their shit out and playing all over. And they wrote a bunch of songs that you listen to and you just vibe with the energy or there's that lyric that fucking bites at you and it just fulfills some thought that you had or just, you know, connects you like, yeah, I fucking, I'm with you. I fucking get that. That's the excitement of hardcore. And you're just not going to get it uploading. You're not going to get it. And I know that this, for those listening, like, oh, here's another Joe lamenting about the online stuff. It's not just online. It's just a, the presentation, the time put in, the physical efforts. That's what going to make your band last. And listen, there are bands actively out there trying to be the next thing. And sometimes it's so fucking funny when it fucking falls on them because it's like your goal is to be good. Your goal in earnest is just be the best you can be and the rest will follow. But if your first priority is we're going to blow up and if you're sitting there saying we're going to blow up and you didn't put the work in, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. It's your ego. It's your desire overriding the fact that you have to do the work. Yeah, there's bands that blow up but never did the work and they don't last. You want to be a band that lasts. You want a legacy. You want something to look back on when you're in some banal existence with your normal ass family again. Or you want to tell your friends that you're in this punk rock band, did some shit. You got to do the work. The bands who matter the most did the work. From their earliest time through the decades, the bands who put the time in. And and as I addressed it, you don't have to do the giant full U.S. tours. But you got to put the time in your band. you got to put your ass out there. And that includes socially beyond these fucking social media platforms and, you know, these little friendship groups where you guys don't talk out of it. And you only play with your own bands and you wonder why things aren't happening. you got to be the band that crosses that line and plays those things. Hats off again to Bob Wilson for really opening the door and, and really being the less stubborn person to 
really make Philadelphia hardcore shows a thing that some kid from Pennsylvania or South Jersey or Delaware can proudly say that they're fucking a part of. And I fucking stamp that with my approval. That if you come and you play in these shows and you support that you're a part of our fucking scene, regardless of what your zip code is now, which 20-something years ago, that was a big faux pas. And that was a lot of youthful ignorance on our end. And I, I just want to see things grow. I want to see bands work. I want to see people take things that happened. The sure, successful route will always be, how much work did you put into this? You know, what you put in is what you get out, they say. What you take from it, what you learn from it is how much you accept in failure, how much you put in yourself. And I've I've really, really learned a lot from an old hardcore dude that's very famous on the internet, Jocko Willink. You've heard me mention him, I was teasing, say, our Lord and Savior. But for those of you wondering, like, how do, how, you know, how do I get on this? It always starts with his book, Extreme Ownership. And it always starts with, like, looking to where you could do better. So many things that I fucked up. So many things that I did wrong with punishment. So many social things. So many misdeeds. So many putting the cart before the horse. So many times trying to run a full fucking thing on three wheels till they all fall off. Because the, the inertia of go, go, go. I had the energy, but I didn't have the foresight. I was My eyes were blinded because I didn't have someone like me saying, hey, Joe, you're not ready yet to do that. Or you really need this if you want that to happen. Another thing I'm saying to you, cousin, I mean, yeah, you can work, but you know you can work your ass into the ground if you don't have the things right. So the last thing I'm going to leave with you younger with is there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Don't be asking me shit until after this article. My fucking inbox is full, bitch. But people around you, people you might want to know, people you look up to, our job for those who have done cool shit for a long period of time is to help somebody. Don't don't forget this is all open source. This is All this shit that we can do, you can YouTube it, you can look it up, you can read about it. There's millions of pages of zines is sitting there in someone's box. I'm looking at a box of Maximum Rock and Rolls given to me by Darren Walters. I sat in dirty-ass Hard Carl's car. And I've read two of those issues in the last four weeks. And I'm fucking mind-blown just how much information is in there. The one thing we didn't do <laughs> in all the irony of analog versus digital is, man, it'd be fucking crazy if all the information gleaned in every fanzine was compiled to an archive. It's like, if you ever wanted to wonder why we don't know about other civilizations, it's because it's all a media that just disappears. And there's millions of printed pages. And potentially billions? I don't know mathematically if that's plausible, but let's just hear me out. Maybe there's billions of words written by potentially thousands of people who wrote zines over decades with information that someone today could pick up and read and learn from. And we don't have all the access to them. And it drives me fucking nuts. And that's why I always talk about books on this show. Because if you ever want to know something, it's in a fucking book. 
And that's just something that was impressed upon me as a kid. And so I'm just going to leave you guys with this one that when I think about the reason why people are so excited for the hate breeds and mad balls, the Fury of Fives, the Alt Wars, Killing Times, the Terrors, the Comeback Kids, even now you can talk, take it back, you can take it into the Kublicons, you know, the H2Os. What's going to get you to be a band that has a resounding, lasting effect on the people is if you go ahead and you work. If you take your craft and you present it and you push it and you're open to it and you don't close yourself away from people and you don't allow yourself to only think that your band exists in one dimension, you will go further. And to all you youngins, there are bands before bands before bands. You're allowed to do a band and it not work out and break up and try something new. So many bands, it takes the third or fourth band before these formulas really start. You know, like, it's just like school. You know, you play, I played soccer from the time I was four turning five until the time I was stopped in 28. Yeah, so 24 years of playing on teams. And I'm going to tell you, you get better every year. You change teams. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes bands break up, but you still have all this learned experience. You don't have to run that band into the ground. You don't have to worry and give up if that band goes away. Because all the experience is gleamed, harnessed, and able to be put into. But you do got to start at zero. You know, you might have a couple people that know who you are. You might have, a, you know, even, but you, and the lessons learned from the Kings Never Die and all these other, and, you know, the Zero Trust, the Bulldoze guys uh, who are be playing this hardcore Hold My Own, which is like Greg Mongoloids who's in a million bands. You know, Chris Mahmood who's in Mushmouth, owns a venue, Club Reverb, Kyle Lifeless. Uh, doing a band with Zach, it's like, you know, like they start right all over again. And my hat's off to them. The hardest thing to do is when you have a project and it's going forward and the wheels start falling off and you're afraid to to say, you know what, fuck it, let's put this to rest. So you just keep beating this thing the fuck up. You're afraid to stop it because you don't want to start again and have to reset. Sometimes you got to reset. Sometimes you got to take things in different directions and the band the band's name won't carry it. And uh, I just wanted to just say that that's my, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I like rationalize, like the bands who put the work in are the bands that people will still love. And yeah, you know, I'm being polite. So that way someone who's in a band, whose friend listens and goes, you know, Joe said your band ain't shit. It's like, no, it's not that. But your band from the, the 2000s who, you know, did one or two tours and put out a record and blew up and then broke up and then all you guys broke edge and did some goofball side projects. The reason why when you guys came back and it didn't work is because you didn't work. Just showed up and put your hand out and said, hey, we're back. What can you give us? The shit isn't what you can give them. It's what you can give hardcore. The shit isn't what hardcore can give to you. It's what you're putting out and what people are getting from it. The symbiotic circle of the kid gets on the stage, he plays a song. That song resonates. The crowd lightens up. People go crazy. The people on the stage are elated because they're accepted. And what they did is cool as fuck. And their excitement, that fucking energy is so raw. It's so powerful. Fucking some shit Tesla could have fucking tapped into. Not Elon, but the OG Nikola. Could have fucking taken that shit and fucking took us to the moon or something. It's special energy. It's got to be harnessed. It's got to be right. There's no phoning this shit in. There's no half-assing this. 
It'll get you so far, but your lasting memories is going to be very, you know. But over time, things I learned is people wax nostalgically on things that are subpar at best because they're fond of it. Everybody has that tape, that record, has that band that, I don't know, they're pretty cool, I like them. Or, you know, they never really see that. Punishment's definitely one of those bands for so many people, I feel bad. But that's your own experience, and that's why you have to be that experienced as, as many people as possible. And the only way you're going to do it is through work, regardless what the internet tells you, regardless what your blue, blue check friend says, regardless what your Spotify listeners are, your metrics. I guess we're averaging somewhere around about a 1,000 or so people listen to this every time we put one out. But it might take weeks or months, month or more than a month before we have a thousand listens. I don't look at that shit. I'm worried about the next one. I'm worried about getting this fucking computer to stop fucking me so I can keep this going every week. I ain't worried about how many people are listening. I'm worrying the next thing I got to say, the next person I get to speak with. That's what I focus on, the work. It's not how the work is received because the people tell me what they like. And I go, oh, fuck, people must be listening. It's the weird nuances, the small things that people bring up. I go, fuck, man, these guys really are listening. And I, and I just, I, I want to just sometimes when I have these episodes where I just talk, I say these things. If you're listening, you want to be something, you want to be remembered, it's work. It's putting your stamp all over the place, but it's got to come from the heart. And you've got to make that stamp. You can't go to Korea and have the stamp made and then have somebody else put the stamp all over. you got to do the fucking work. Sorry, Korea, I was just busting balls. We had the band Things We Say in the Geeks play. I don't want them to be like, damn, what's up, Joe? Why we got beef now? But you know what I mean? Like, you can't outsource. You got to do it yourself. You got to make the you gotta make the effort. You got to learn the process. But you got to become the process, refine the process. When the f- process fails, you go back, take ownership of where things went wrong, get back on the horse, start all over again. Every one of these bands that you're going to see in two weeks that have had a lasting impression on people have done it. And I said it on stage, but it, it bears repeating. If you want to be a band, you'd be shrink for a reason. They were who they were for 25 years now. They never wavered in what they wanted to present to the world. They never got different fashions. I mean, I think fashion changed and they grew up, but they never changed their sound. They never got swoopy haircuts and goofy production, which would be super funny to see Big Carl with a swoopy haircut. But they stayed who the fuck they were. And time changed more than strength for a reason changed. And in 2022, with that record show improved now being on Spotify. These kids love this PA hardcore. They love this real shit, and there's nothing more pure than dudes just just get the fuck up there and play this shit from their heart, and they played all over. They've got fans from across the world for being just the most genuine version of themselves, and, you know, they had a van. They would play everywhere. They played anywhere with anyone, few if any reservations possible. But, you know, they're family guys. You know, Pennsylvania people, we got jobs. We're out here working, not bum asses. So it's a little hard. They can't do all these big U.S. tours and all this shit. But that's a powerhouse. That's a band that works their fucking ass off. And I just want to congratulate my friends 
who I saw their first show and they jumped up after Mushmouth played at CC's in November of 1997. I'm so happy that you're still playing shows. I love that there's a band that embodies just the pure, unadulterating happiness of being okay with who they are and proud to be what they are and present hardcore in their for you know the way they feel it needs to be presented. They're not like, oh, you know, this is the new hot thing. We're going to go change this up. No, they're just strung for a reason. And I just love these dudes. I'm so happy they're playing this hardcore in two weeks. And we need a lot more people who can approach hardcore from the strength for a reason mindset. And I hope you guys take the time to do so. Thank you for this one. I'm going to say that if you didn't listen last week to the Ace episode, please do. I was hoping to have a podcast available Saturday. And then this computer at times is really just not the one for this. And at some point I'm going to buy a separate computer that just does podcasting shit. Literally just like a $500 laptop or something. Just so I can handle all the the shit that goes on with this. And then skip the other one for emails and stuff. Because times it's just really unruly to get this going. And I'm sorry that I didn't have an episode out last week. From this channel. However, I was a guest on the Forum of Passion. And aside from talking about This Is Hardcore or maybe band stuff, unless I'm talking about it on Rule of Three or This Is Hardcore, it's going to take me a lot to do a podcast with someone else after going and having that conversation just because you don't want to keep reiterating and saying the same things and then, you know, oh, yeah, 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 the part about your mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, the part about when punishment got started. Like, you don't want to become a broken record. And I just appreciate East Stallings for taking the time to ask me to be a part of some form of passion, which was episode 76. And um, those who reached out and felt connected to my life story, now granted, it was a truncated, maybe almost three-hour episode, so a long one like a This Is Hardcore, bizarrely, me in the seat, Versus me asking the questions. That's what you should do for last week's episode. I'm sorry they missed it. And um, a double extra special shout outs. To the Teamsters 830. These are the guys that are getting up before the sun comes up. Sometimes they're driving until the sun goes down. And they're providing a service. Specific service of making sure all the beer and libations get to the proper commercial outlets in Philadelphia and they are currently on strike hoping for a better collective bargaining agreement that gives them a prosperous future especially with the Philadelphia World Cup coming these are people that go to hardcore shows these are people that make some of the best shit that I I, like without them like without the Joe McHenry's (laughs) you know I don't know where I would be and I'm proud of my friends for sticking up for their living, sticking up for their livelihood, sticking up for their family and their future. Support all union businesses. Never cross a picket line. And much love to the brothers for doing the right thing. Uh, you can support these guys by honking if you see them outside. I don't think they have a GoFundMe or anything. And support Burns uh, Restaurant in Port Richmond because they're graciously giving food and helping out these guys even though 
their beer won't get distributed until these guys got the right deal instead of being like, fuck these union guys are supporting them and wanting them to get a better agreement. And I really love hearing that. So next week, more episodes. Watch love. TIHCpodcast.com. See you at the No Pressure Show or see you at the AXBX Split Stucky Show or also at the Hard Times Tattoo um, Flea Market where I'm going to sell some DVDs. Maybe some random ass books that I don't need. Who knows? I'm gonna bring out. I'm gonna bring out one of them like fucking change johns you put on your hip. Just put out some quarters and shit. You're gonna see it. Nah. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I Richie and NG, please bomb their fucking inboxes and tell them to make time for me. They hate me. I want to do rule of three. And um, sorry BSB people, but apparently uh, G and M don't love you anymore. Pablo's doesn't want anything to do with it. No, I'm kidding around. So I'm out with their Instagram. I hope that they put out a BSB soon. I miss listening to those guys. And see you all next week. Take care.